0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field.
1: Leinster could offer me five mil a year. I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Tommy
2: Rugby, rugby weekly.
1: Little reverse pass. Four! Four!
2: Drive Magic. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Hope your week is going well. Gavin Casey here as always, and I hope you got your Murray a fix on air sport over the weekend, because he remains on well-earned leave, although this will be the last podcast without him for the time being. That being said, what an impact Gary Doyle made off the bench last week, and maybe, Gary, we're a little bit too concrete in our selection process here, and uh, I don't know, I hope there isn't a re- reshuffle, to be honest, because I'd imagine... I'll be the one getting the boot if that's the case. But how are you getting on?
0: Very well, Gav. It's uh, great to step in for uh, Cardinal Murray and uh, the Professor of Rugby, and hope to hope to fill his shoes for one more week and do do us all proud.
2: <laughs> that's all we can ask, eh? You would have heard the dulcet tones of Bernard Jackman if you did tune into air over the weekend, Bert. How are you? And how did that uh, game go for you down there?
1: Yeah, it went well. Um, well, I, I got a bit of criticism, I think, from. So Ulster fans for for speaking too much about Munster, um. So I'll have to take that take that on board. Um, my argument back was it's it's, it's easier to commentate on the team who are, are dominating. Um, and it was a dominant performance by 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 Munster, which is probably worrying for for Ulster. But uh, yeah, it was just good to be a live game, and um, yeah, definitely Munster have definitely started this Northern Rainbow Cup with a with a bang and looked to be much improved. Um, and yeah, I think they're probably my mind they're the favourites to, to win it unless on, on they get to play this uh, final which includes the South African team and then we'll get a test of of um, a taste of what's the level going to be like for next year but yeah it was, it's just good to be down there and you know, some really good performances by Munster in particular
2: Yeah we'll get into those two Interpros from the weekend look ahead to what's coming up as well and we're going to chat, chat rather about Jack Regan player pathways and some of those alternative routes back to professional rugby and what a story that is with the co-commentary perch, i'm just curious is that something you would do a lot of work on or how did it come about in, in the beginning like does it take a different level of training or preparation to say doing this or other punditry on rt for example
1: um yeah i think there is there's a different uh, skill set into it but I probably don't have to do uh and maybe uh, maybe that's why I'm not that good at it, but I don't I don't actually do a lot of different work. I, I, I tend to just be kind of fully engaged in rugby all the time. Um and hence I'm always watching to see who's coming through. I'm always watching games and um probably trying to build up a, a database uh without having to work at it. I just enjoy watching rugby and enjoy talking about it and um so hence going to do CoCom, um, it's it's not that time consuming for me to to prep for it um i think the co the commentating is, is a different game i mean they um they have the hard job co-commentator you're just literally um trying to give uh, feedback and insight onto what's actually happened so um and you would expect particularly for a game like you know an, an irish to provincial like i know all the players and uh, and um some of them not as well as others but you're hoping to f- you're actively interested in them and Hoping to follow them throughout their career, whereas if you're when we go down to do this now, I do watch a good bit of South African rugby, but you know when they come into the competition properly, um, I'll probably have to do a lot more. Uh, I will have to do a lot more homework and look back at a lot of ge- uh, previous games that I may have missed out on. But yeah, I don't see that as uh, I, I, I watch. I enjoy watching rugby, thankfully. Um, uh, so yeah, it's not a, it's not a big challenge.
2: Gary, would you fancy it? No <laughs> Let's chat about that game firstly. Then the one that Birch was on co-commentary for, uh, Monster and Ulster. Uh, can I get your own impressions of it, Gary? Uh, without meaning to perpetuate uh, the irate Ulsterman theme that we uh, established last week, like how did that game go versus what you would have expected from Ulster and indeed Monster beforehand?
0: From Monster perspective, Gavin, I thought they did a couple of things really well. Like they were really accurate at the breakdown. They were really efficient in the red zone defensively they were they were superb particularly when Ulster had their dominant period at the start of the game and when you combine all those things plus their dominance at the set piece you're going to get a big victory which is what they did get from Ulster's perspective just just looking through their stats this year gavin their key players have barely played for them like Ian Henderson's only had five games three of those have come the last three weeks for them this season Jack McGrath has only played three times. Carter has only completed 80 minutes of rugby once, or sorry, twice this season. Rob Herring has done pretty well. He's had 11 games. But at the same time, during a key part of the season, he was away from 8th of January until the 4th of April because of international commitments. Will Addison's only had 94 minutes, only one start this season. Ballacoon's only had seven games. Could see it. he's out of the picture now. His last game was at the start of March and then you've got luke marshall who hasn't played since november now out of those eight players you'd say probably seven would be not just starters but leaders and when you when you combine their pro- collective absence from from the ulster setup it does lead to a bit of inconsistency which will which is what we've seen and particularly in the last month or so and the second point about all this is that psychologically this Ulster team now looks spent on the back of a, of a few factors firstly the season started for them last August. We're now it's going to finish in June. That's far too long, in for for a sport as physical as rugby. It's just it's just too much for for players to go through. So so they're they look completely drained at this stage. And Stuart McCluskey in the aftermath of Friday's defeat, pretty much said that without without directly saying those words. In addition to that, right. The Pro 14, they lose the final last year's uh, 19, 20, or 2021 final. Or sorry, last last season's final, they lose that uh, in September. Then this season starts to do really well. They get the same number of points as Munster. But because they're in the same conference as Leinster, they're denied a place in the final. Whereas Munster just gets to the final by a quirk of the system. In other words, there's no playoffs, so they're denied that opportunity. That's clearly had... A negative effect on them and then the way the loss to to leicester in the second half of the challenge cup semi-final has also sort of knocked the stuffing out of them when you add all those things together you can see why at this stage of the season they're just not at it as such and i think that was highlighted by the fact that they had five substitutions at halftime last last friday that was um it wasn't a good performance it's probably their weakest performance that I've seen from Ulster since the defeat to Toulouse in last season's Champions Cup quarterfinal. So they're not where they need to be, um, and really, at this stage, they could do with a season ending.
2: Psychologically spent, Birch, is that a fair assessment? And I wonder how much it's a psychological burnout from the season as a whole, versus even the effect of losing that Leicester game when you had all of your eggs really in that basket, in the Challenge Cup basket. We saw probably the week prior against Connacht, they maybe had taken their eye off the ball for the Rainbow Cup, So to come back from such a deflating defeat in Europe in a competition that you probably had taken your eye off to some degree was always going to be difficult. It seemed like they put up a fight for the first sort of 15, 20 minutes. And in fairness, after the break as well, they kind of made a stand of sorts. But it was almost like they didn't have the mental energy as well as the physical energy to
1: sustain it. I would agree with Gary's comments about they looked mentally fatigued. I think um, the most frustrating thing from my point of view was I thought the biggest issue against Leicester was tactically at halftime. They tightened up. They went to a contestable kicking game. Uh, they got no reward from that. And yet, during the course of the second half, they weren't able to readapt tactically to try and find a way back into the game. And likewise against Munster, they played with a big wind in the in the first half. And they pretty much refused to kick the ball. Um, and uh, I just thought it was, the ball in hand wasn't working. Munster's defence was was very well set. There were very they had a lot of jackal threats uh, with Clothe and, and and Byrne. And you know, they just played into Munster's hands and gave them a lot of energy. So um looking at it now, with you know Leinster away this weekend, um they're they're pretty much going to be out of the of the competition. And on the back of that defeat against Leicester in a competition that I think they really needed to win. Um Ulster won't be in the Challenge Cup uh over the next couple of years you wouldn't think because um they're good enough to be in the Champions Cup but yet they're probably unlikely to win the Champions Cup and obviously the domestic competition is going to get harder now with the four um, South African teams and Leinster's dominance so looking at the recruitment is coming in you know has going out is probably more dominant player than Nakawara is at this stage of his career and you know there's, there's some of the youngsters are looking good but I still don't know if they have the depth um, or are as comfortable in how they're playing um, as they need to be to you know, win a trophy which is probably what us fans expect.
2: Gary, bearing that in mind and, and going back to what we were talking about even last week uh, in relation to squad depth so as Bernard says some of the young guys are looking good but the reality is that uh, to go back to your point earlier about Henderson and some of those more senior guys being away during the season that's going to be the case next season and for a future season so even looking at this Leinster game Do you think it's a chance for Dan McFarlane to put more of those youngsters to the test or or play a a kind of a more experimental side again just to give some of those guys more game time in a high octane, high pressure type of environment or do they actually need a performance here as a collective uh, to be very competitive against Leinster just to raise spirits a little bit because you'd imagine going into a pre-season and and off-season as much as it might be a chance to recharge if you're going in off the back of three defeats in Interpros, the mood is going to be pretty low for a while.
0: Yeah, I suppose you, what you want to do is try and do both if you can. Like, at this stage, ex, I w- I would imagine all five coaches should be experimenting because the Rainbow Cup doesn't have a history and it may not have a future either. Like, you know, I think it, we're going to see the amalgamation of the northern and southern uh Aspects of the tournament come next season. So, what is what is there to gain for Ulster by not experimenting? I mean, they've lost their first two games. There's it's only a five game competition. They're not going to qualify for the final. So, at this stage, they have to give give young fellows a chance. But to give McFarland credit, when he came in in 2018, he he his mantra from the start was to bring through. Uh, his own, his own men and young players and they have come through like Moore, Hume, O'Toole, the That he has uh, Laurie, Balakoon, like he is the guy that has given these guys the opportunity so he's done that part of the job really, really well um, but as I said earlier I just think events have conspired against them this season. Now they were poor last uh, Friday, I'm not going to excuse the fact that they didn't play well at all but um, they've just had a difficult season in terms of outside influences, uh, in terms of not getting a playoff in particular. Like, that was a real kick in the teeth. Uh, they've only got themselves to blame for the defeat to Leicester in the Challenge Cup. But it's just been a messy season. Like, in the middle of this season, they had five weeks without a game uh, because of the when the second wave came and the matches against Gloucester and Toulouse were postponed in the Champions Cup. And again, that wasn't an opportunity for them to reset because uh, that just happened overnight. Nobody knew, nobody could plan for this because, well, how can you plan for something as, as crazy as this pandemic? Uh, but it just upset their season and just there hasn't been any rhythm to this rugby season. There's been more international rugby than normal. And it has affected teams in different ways. And at this stage of the season, I think just Ulster just need to go to the beach and and down tools for a bit and, and reset.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I don't I, I think Dan has done a, a very good job. Let's not forget um the situation he inherited and he has got them um he has brought them forward for sure. And and I, I'm thinking back to um Obviously, they've been to, to a final in the Pro 14. You know, they, they should have beaten Leinster in, the, in a quarterfinal in the Viva Stadium, which would have been a, a huge result. So he has moved them on. I think last summer they brought in Madigan and Matcheson, who were you know, two good operators, experienced halfbacks. And, and you know, those young players are getting better and they're getting game time. I just, you know, we, were, we spoke about what Leinster need to go and, and, and win Europe. And we, we, we felt post-La Rochelle, and not just post-La Rochelle, but over the last couple of seasons, they're maybe lacking that little bit of X factor. Um, and I think that it's absolutely brilliant that he's finding these, these young players. And even Dave McCann is a player that was very good on a 20s level, and he's getting game time. But realistically, to win a trophy, um, I think they, they will add, need to add one or two. Sam Carter, in fairness, has been very unlucky with injury. Um, and he was one of their big foreign player signings. Uh, Matuidi hasn't really set the world alight, and it's probably in a position that they have a lot of depth. Um, uh, I, I, I wonder is Carter the type of player? I know he's a good organizer and he's a good leader, but I wonder is he the type of player who can make the difference um, in terms of pushing them forward? Um, but uh, yeah, so I would say if they could find a few quid, um, you know, I think that this squad needs a little bit more depth and. And depth from outside, uh, and that joined up with the likes of Henderson, McCluskey, you know, Will Addison, Stockdale, etc., who are now mature players, um, and those youngsters that you know that Gary mentioned, who were all players with lots of potential. Um, that's probably what they need. But uh, and uh, and also going into preseason on the back of five five or six you know heavy defeats, um, it's not a it's not great. I know the holiday and, and will freshen them up a little bit, but. They probably need to get something out of these games, at least in terms of performances.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Alright. And look, as Gary was saying, it has been difficult to discover rhythm for most teams throughout the season. That being said, on the other side of the ball, is it about as rhythmic as we've seen Monster play this season, Birch? I know Murray was saying on air he was reticent to uh get too excited on behalf of Monster fans because you know, there's always a chance there's a little bit of a false dawn, um, particularly, say, if if the opposition just aren't up to scratch on the day and, and Ulster were below par, certainly. So you can read too much into uh, an aesthetically pleasing kind of expansive performance like that sometimes. But, you know, chatting to own Toulon even on Monday he was making the point and to be fair it's been made before that it's it's a kind of a string to your bow that you need to work on it doesn't mean you have to play that way every time but to be able to do it in certain situations uh, is clearly handy and performances like that contribute to just a little bit of muscle memory and a, and a little bit of chemistry i guess
1: yeah i think that they look at they targeted leinster in that first game um, they they learned from the, the the final um when they were a little bit standoffish and, and they didn't really engage in Leinster and they, and they gave Leinster uh, too much comfort at the, at the breakdown physically they didn't challenge him so they, they fixed that and then and at first we were all going oh you know Leinster didn't have a strong team out and they didn't have their best team out but they had a a, a, a team that generally wins week in week out in, in the Pro 14 so from a Munster point of view I think that they, um, they and you saw how they celebrated so I think psychologically um, they they got a lot from that they obviously Put Leinster uh, in a situation where they have won the defeat already. So um, interior, like Munster could interior knock Leinster out of this without having to beat them in a final. If if, if the South Africans come in, or if other results go go um, uh, go against Leinster elsewhere, Leinster mightn't be able to catch up to become uh, second um, in it if it only stays in the north. So they've got a chance to win silverware. They've got a chance to. Um, and look, you know, it's not the be on end all, but it will be silverware, and it will finish this season off for this squad with a trophy. And obviously, they're losing some players, um, you know, at the at the end of the season for for different reasons. So I think it could be the starting block of, of something in, in in Munster. And what I like about them is they, you know, they double down on that physicality against Ulster. So what worked against Leinster, they they went out there and even even a little bit of aggro at the start of the game. You know, it was pretty clear Munster were and, and no one was going to. They weren't going to get pushed around, but where that manifested itself most was at the breakdown. And um, there's been a massive shift and it's only over two games, but there's been a massive development from a Munster point of view in terms of the physicality they're bringing, but also the technique um, they're bringing at the breakdown and they're creating, you know, really quick ball on their ball They're making, creating long rooks, which brings the defensive line back a little bit further. And, um, you know, they're, they're playing on the on, on, on the front foot then and they're, they're basically have the foot on the throat of the opposition and they're not letting them off the hook and they're going at them and at them and at them. So that's Munster Rugby. Um, let's go back to, we talked about identity last week. That's the identity of Munster Rugby is physical, um, physicality at the breakdown on both sides of the ball. And we spoke about, you know, they have those jackal threats with Delande, with Clote, with, with Tyburn. Um, so defensively, they make the, your breakdown a mess. Uh, but also from an attacking point of view, I've been really impressed with how secure they look on their own ball, but also how quick it is and how long they make that rook uh, at the moment. And you know, I'm sure the opposition coaches will be looking at some of those clean outs and send them off to the uh, to the referees. Um, but the reality is that the team that go forward will always get the benefit of the doubt. And At the moment, Munster have found a way to go forward, and. Um, you know, that's for me. That's pleasing because they need. They can't copy how Leinster play. They need to find their own way and become you know, world class at that. And and and, and again, it, the signs are there that it's getting better. You
2: made the point on co-commentary, Bernard. That like, well, I, I suppose everybody saw it. There were there were a number of offloads. Monster were able to make off the ground. And maybe that was a sign that Ulster just couldn't get parody there at all. But is that just a symptom of Munster being incredibly accurate at the breakdown, not just dominant, but technically proficient as you're saying?
1: Yeah, so basically, you know, um teams generally don't contest if they're if they're on the back foot. Um so it's all it's all interlinked. It's it's the quality of your, your set piece which gets you a chance to get over the gain line on your strike, and then obviously the quality of your clean out and the speed of ball will make it hard for the defence to reset. So it wasn't just the case that um, Ulster weren't contesting the rooks. It was effectively because they were consistently getting caught behind the gain line that they were scrambling to, to get into place. And that allowed the Munster ball carrier, even though tackled, to, to pop from the ground. And I haven't seen a game this season in the Pro 14 where, where that was as prevalent. So, but, I, and you, you know, it's easy to point a finger at Ulster and say, oh, why aren't they, why isn't the second man in getting in there and, and um, affecting the, the ball carrier? but the reality was the starting point of it was how accurate they were in the in the breakdown area and how physical they were and how many Ulster players they were able to knock off their feet so Ulster were down um, in, in the front line so it's all interlinked and it's been it's been for me it's been the most obvious improvement in um, in, in Munster uh, and look at they didn't have the distraction of a of a semi-final in Europe so they could you know maybe mentally but also physically and tactically find uh, a, a different way of attacking this end of season um, but yeah it's uh, it certainly it certainly looks like they're they've, they're definitely chasing this competition hard um, they didn't you know they mixed their team up a little bit uh, as well so it wasn't their, their fully first choice team but uh, I thought uh, as a collective the squad I represented them last weekend put in a, a big performance
2: intertwined with that then Gary and that transformed uh, attacking approach and Again, the the technical uh, proficiency of the forwards at the moment Is Conor Murray playing two of his best games in recent times? I personally think he's been playing well for a while Uh, He gets a lot of undue flack, to my mind, based on standards we assigned to him from 2018 And look, I think... The last couple of games and monsters forwards dominance show that when you have go forward ball, it is a lot easier for a scrum half to play well. He's certainly doing that. Do you think he's kind of like returning to the sort of form that would give Warren Gatlin serious thoughts about actually starting him in Alliance Test, or am I getting a bit carried away myself?
0: No, not at all. I think he will start at this stage. If you're if you look at the the three scrum halves that Gatlin has selected, you're going to go with Murray for the first test at this stage. Now, as we know. A lot can change between now and July 25th, is it? Uh, When the first test. So, I mean, there, there is a long time to go. But he is in form. He is playing well. I mean, when you think back to Murray 2016 to 2018, everything he did was was top class. He was a threat around the edges. His box kicking was on the money. Uh, he mixed his game up. When you think of the victory over the All Blacks in Chicago, like he set the tone for that game. He was just exceptional. He got that early try. And in, what was really notable about that match was that in the post-match press conference, all the New Zealand hacks were quizzing Hansen about Connor Murray. So, I mean, that was the, probably the biggest Compliment you could get from a from a hard nosed group of journalists who don't really respect players per se outside outside of their own islands. Um, he since the injury in 2018, he hasn't been the same player. And anybody who says he has is telling lies. Uh, but what we have what we certainly saw last last Friday, the opportunist try he got was was exceptional in terms of. He was brave. He put his neck on the line to get across the line. And it reminded me of the try, I think it was against Toulon, he got uh, a few years ago in the in the Champions Cup uh, quarterfinal. Um, or it might have been might have been in the pool stage that season. Anyway, um, it just showed that he was back to his confident best. Now, having said that, you've also got a guy snapping at his heels uh, who has been really impressive this year. And you're looking at the fact that, that Craig Casey... Has got seven hundred and fourteen minutes, and you kind of like to see him get a bit more than that. Mainly because when you look at the the Munster squad, they're key players. Like they're going to lose Billy Holland, CJ Stander, and they're going to also lose Hanrahan at the end of this season. Well, thirty one, uh, Connor is thirty two. Uh, Archer is 33 Ryan is 32 Keith Earls is 33 so we're going to be moving into whether they like it or not they're going to be moving into a transitional periods in the next couple of years so when you've got young players coming through like Shane Daly is now 24 he's the 10th starts this season and they've given him starts in big games like he's played against Ulster twice connaught twice Leinster twice played against Claremont he was superb last weekend and you you get to that level when you get exposed to big matches. Casey has had nine starts, seven uh, substitute appearances this season, but he hasn't had too much exposure in the big games. Like against Harlequins, he got 15 minutes against Claremont. He got 16 against Toulouse, 16 when he played against Leicester. He got six minutes, 10 minutes, 17 minutes. You're not really going to develop unless you get a start in one of those games. And I'd like to see, him get the opportunity in the remaining in some of the remaining rainbow cup matches because what happens if murray isn't there you need to have you need to you need to be ready for the next stage um, of your club's development you can't you can't uh, you have to evolve rather than reach a full stop and then start again. That's that's what all the great teams have done over the course of history. Like again, look at Finanin Witcherly. The like he played last weekend and I thought he was super. But again, it's only a second start against say a real in a really big game in the sense that in the the inter pros are bigger games than regular Pro 14 matches. European games again are obviously way higher. So he's had 18 games this season, but most of his starts have against have been against the the lesser teams in the Pro 14. Whereas he's come off the bench against Leicester twice, against Toulouse, against Claremont, against Harlequins. We want to see these guys starting more. We want to see more of Jack Crowley, we want to see more of Thomas Ahern. We want to see this transition happen smoothly. Because when you when Munster have given opportunities to their homegrown players, and the obvious example uh, this season is Gavin Coombs, who's just been Unbelievable! He scored 11 tries. The stats: the 178 carries he's made, the 140 40 tackles. But look at what he did last season. Uh, he never, in all his appearances, he never got more than 47 minutes. Like Gavin Coombs is 23. He's not 19. He's not 20. Just feel there's been a little bit of a conservative approach in terms of giving young guys. Uh, their opportunities. It's not that they haven't been given the chances. I just feel they should be given more of them, particularly because of the age profile of the key players in the in the Munster setup. Bernard, you're nodding along there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's
1: that's the biggest criticism. I think you could have of Munster over the last three years is how slow they are to, to bring them through and blood them. And if you are going to be very conservative, you need to be backing up with trophies. Uh, and while I do think it's important that Munster you know, finish the season with a trophy if they can. Um, if they if they neglect the opportunity to give some genuine game time, I thought Witchley was excellent. Coombs has proven himself every every game. I mean, you know, I, I can see why uh, Johan would have wanted to, to maybe play Nick McCarthy and, and JJ in terms of, you know, showing the squad that, you know, they started together, they finished together, even though both are moving on. But... Craig Casey needs to play. Like, he, he needs to play. Um, and I will be starting him in some of these games and letting Connor come off the bench if you're worried about, you know, the results. But uh, if Munster don't increase their player depth, um, and it's all well and good, orgie Snyman coming back um, and Jenkins coming in. But realistically, it's going to be these youngsters um, who carry the uh, the mantle or take on the mantle uh, from some of the older, older crop. And, you know, they, Munster aren't a team who have five years to wait they they, they need to be winning trophies um, uh, and big trophies uh, to fulfil their destiny which is obviously one of the best teams in Europe historically so yeah, I, I think that have, Johan has to get the balance right between winning this competition because that's obviously important for, for them but not neglecting the need to really find out about, uh, about some of these players and for me seeing Jack Crowley go off playing sevens um, I think that's that's not a good sign. I would prefer him to be in the in the mix now, um, getting some game time at and um, I know Ben Healy's done incredibly well, but I'd like to see where he can he can fit in and and um, know a little bit more about him.
2: Hmm. We might come back to that a little bit later on, just to chat about Leinster and Connacht. though. stick with yourself, Bernard. I guess. Any team that claws back a 16-0 deficit in the manner in which Leinster did it uh, are impressive by definition, nearly. But there was something probably a little bit extra in that Leinster backlash, if you like, because you could have probably forgiven them when they were 16-0 down for dropping the heads after a disappointing couple of weeks and a disappointing couple of results, particularly the one in La Rochelle. And yet they were as professional as ever and perhaps more vicious and more efficient than usual, it's fair to say.
1: Yeah, and like, you know, Leinster had the same excuse Ulster did of being, you know, down and feeling sorry for themselves. And certainly that first first period where Connacht were were dominant, you, you were going, wow, this is going to be back-to-back defeats, potentially. And, you know, a real blow to Leinster's um, uh, belief that they have the deepest squad in the, in, or the belief that we all have that they have the deepest squad in the Pro 14, and hence that, that gives them opportunities to win it every year. But the reaction was was phenomenal. And, um, you know, it was guys like Ross Maloney um, just taking the game by, by the scruff of the neck. James Tracy, um, you know, being having, having a huge game. And I think that's brilliant for, for Leo and, and, and Stuart Lancaster to, to be able to point to that. Look, we, we got ourselves in trouble. We, we started slow. And we still went out and actually, you know, got a, got a bonus point and, a, and an incredibly impressive performance. Uh, and just how they turned around. And look at... Unfortunately, from a Connick point of view, um, their Achilles heel was the line-out mall again, um, and that's what cost them in Leic- away to Leicester um, in the quarterfinal of the Challenge Cup. That has been something that has made it necessary for them to score a lot of points um, in certain games to have a chance of winning, but I, I haven't seen a line-out mall um, as this uh, defence as, as dismantled as easily as, as Leicester did, and, and I know Leicester scored a real variety of tries, but they also knew, and when you're a conic player and you know every time you give away a penalty, you're going to be going into the corner and, and you, you have shown no capacity to stop that, it becomes demoralising and actually sometimes it can affect your general play and every play becomes a big play because you're so conscious of giving Leinster the ball. Um, so I thought Leinster exposed that brilliantly. Yeah, Their, their line of ball um, under McBride is is, is very uh, very well drilled. Um but from a Connor point of view, that was a disappointing, you know, last sixty minutes where um, you know, pretty much the fifteen Leinster players who were who were opposite them are nearly all dominant in their individual battles.
2: That line out mall defense, Gary, is probably more than an Achilles heel at this point. It's a fatal flaw, really. Or maybe they're one and the same thing, actually, but it's just so glaring and as Bernard says, it's as glaring to both sets of players on the pitch as it is to us watching it from afar.
0: Yeah, like if you think back to some of Connors' defeats earlier in the season, the one uh, Birch mentioned there, uh, Leicester was definitely one, but also the Scarlets at home, they lost 2014, Cardiff away beating 29-7, Ulster at home just around the, the Christmas period and particularly the the match at home to Ospreys when they lost 26-20. Like of those matches... Two or three of them could have been won, and the mall was the key factor in their defeat. And again, the much maligned Quinn Roo has been really badly missed for for Connacht this season, and he's going to be missed next season when he when he jets off. Like he's only played five times, and we've often heard coaches and top coaches like Joe Schmidt uh, reference the fact that he does a lot of on scene work. Now doing a lot of on scene work is often interpreted as uh, it's a, bit of a bit of an insult, really, like, you know, but um, but now we know when he's not there, what the consequences are. And it was so evident in the match last Saturday that they needed him uh, not just to contest, uh, but just to put a bit of South African beef up against the, the Leinster pack and just to make life difficult for them. Like, one of the, one of the really interesting factors... And it was, it was a great advantage from being at the match that you can sort of see a few things that might be off camera for those sitting at home was when it went to, I think it was, yeah, when when Conor got their try, their first try. So the score was to move on to, to 11-0. Luke McGrath showed really impressive leadership. He called for a captain's challenge, uh, even though he must have known there's little chance of uh, of it being successful. And what he did then... He took the momentum out of Conant's sales for a minute or two. And while the TMO and the referee were deliberating over whether it was a legitimate try for Keelan Blade or not, McGrath gathered all the players together, gave them a real good talking to. And even though it didn't lead to immediate uh, response in the sense that Ross Byrne, the try was allowed stand and Ross Byrne put the his restart out in the full. After 14 minutes, it was 16-0. But after 29 minutes, uh, the lead was not only wiped out, but Leinster had scored four tries. So the, the response was ruthless. It was, it was incredible. And Hugo Keenan's lines of running were just, just sensational. Like, you know, to, he's, he, he got a hat-trick, well-deserved. And Leo Cullen made a really interesting point afterwards. Gabby was saying how uh, if the Lions, if somebody goes down injured, then they're going to be saying, right, who's next up? And Keenan, they're they're going to be saying, Gatlin's going to be saying to his coaching staff, how did Keenan do last weekend? And somebody will say, well, look, he got a hat-trick, so get him on the plane. And you've only got to think back to the 97 Lions Tour, when Paul Wallace wasn't named in the original squad. Uh, Cloughesley was named instead. Cloughesley went down injured, Wallace got called up. He ends up as the starter uh, in in that test series, and his reputation was was secured on the back of that series. So the point being, things can change. You've got to maintain your form. You've got to keep your standards high and nobody can argue that Lencer didn't do that last weekend.
2: That's certainly the case. Bernard, let's chat about Quinn Roo. Much maligned Gary says I think it's a weird one where people who are really into rugby, who follow the sport and are I guess almost religiously involved in it in Ireland will look at a player like Quinn Roo, uh, appreciate what he did for Connacht and his contribution to Irish rugby without putting too fine a point on it or being too grandiose and acknowledge and understand that he's gotten a better offer. This is a short career. He has a chance to make some money, see a new country and he doesn't really owe us, i.e. the Irish public, anything. Some of the criticism leveled at him that I've seen has been cheap and boring, to be honest, including in a couple of newspaper columns. I think you just have to Sort of appreciate he was a good player and move on as Connick will do by signing more than likely an NIQ lock to replace him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And look, he um, he's very respected by the players who play with him and against him. And and um, it's the unglamorous stuff like being able to break up an opposition line at them all, um, to be able to be in a force to break down to make the big hits. Um, that's you know sometimes we don't see as much as the, as the flashy ball carriers or the. Or, or, or the one-handed offloads. And, and Quinryu never, um, he's always done what it says in the tin in terms of what he came from as, as Western Province. I remember seeing his, his highlight reel as an 18-year-old um, and he was on the market to come to France or to come to Europe. There was a, there was a clatter of, of locks ahead of him, I think, in, in the stormers. And uh, you know he, he was a very explosive and a very aggressive um, type player who, who brought that, that edge, and uh, it's obviously harder to, to do it as you step up. At that stage, he was doing it against schoolboys, um, but you know he has brought a level of physicality. And the fact that Toulon have seen what he can bring, I think, is uh, is testament to him. And I, I don't blame him. I mean, you know, like if he gets injured or drops form, his contract won't be renewed here. You know, and that's the reality of it. And uh, um, you know, every time you know you, you sign a one-year or two-year contract, the rare, rare times you sign a three-year contract that gives you a little bit of security but at the end of it it's, it's an open market and um, you know he has spent a, a decent amount of time in Ireland and now there's an opportunity to go and, and play for a couple of seasons in the top 14 with a club who were trying to get back to the levels they were at obviously um, a club with a, a, a bit of a history a club with a very rich um, benefactor who's who's putting money uh, behind the club to, to get back to winning top 14s and winning Europe and, and he could be part of that and and um, you know, at the end of it all, where's he? Is he going to go to, back to New Zealand, South Africa? Yeah, well, in some ways, you got to say fair play. He's come to he's come to Europe and he's he's tasted Dublin, he's tasted Galway, and now he's tasting the the set of France and and it's it's a short a short career. So I don't have any issues with that at all. I think he's been a a very good servant to to, to Connacht. Um, uh, you know, he obviously uh, struggled a little bit at the start with Leinster, but it wasn't anything down to effort. It was just the competition he had and, and adapting to to northern hemisphere rugby but yeah I, I have no I have no issue with it. it's obviously difficult for Connor. the big key is that the key is now they have to replace him because you look at that pack um they are lacking that type of profile I think Gavin Thornbury has done very well I, I think Murray looks like a, a player with a, with a huge future but um you know the reality is it's your front five who, who win you games when it comes to the crunch and um, they probably need a bit of support there, and I'm sure Dwal Senegal, uh, you know, will be working with with Andy Friend to, to try and make sure that they get the right replacement. And, and in fairness, the market at the moment, it's a it's a buyer's market. You know, there's still the repercussions of COVID. Um, there's a lot of professional players out there who are looking for opportunities, and Ireland as a destination for you know a non-Irish qualified player is 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 very attractive. So I would I would imagine they'll they'll replace him um and they'll move on and and, and Quinn will move on and go down to, to France and, and hopefully he enjoys it.
2: Hopefully he does. Gary, do you have any issues with it? Do you malign Quinn Roo? <laughs> no No
0: too old to too old to malign anybody. There's no there's no point in it. I've no issues yeah. at all. I've 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 no issues with the project player. I think I'm in a minority of one in this country uh in that sense the rules are there. The rules are stupid, but they're still there. Uh, and also, like, without without going too deep on it, Gav, like, the when you if you're going to uh, criticize a non-Irish player for playing for Ireland, then essentially to to make a bit of a leap and to make a bit of a stretch, you're not being terrible. I mean, we're supposedly the country of a hundred thousand welcomes. So if we're not going to accept CJ Stander and Quinn rue and Jarrett Payne. Then, what are we? Are we a country of 100,000 welcomes with an asterisk attached? So, no, I don't have an issue with him playing for Ireland, and I don't have an issue with him leaving to go and earn a living to support his family in Toulon, because as Bernard said, it is a short contract and best of luck.
2: To yeah, country of 100,000 welcomes and a fair few thousand gobshites, I'd say. But uh, let's chat then about some. Uh, <laughs> well, a guy making a move. Not quite home, but closer to home, is Jack Regan. And this is an unbelievable story I think we're talking about and maybe expanding upon and celebrating. And for anybody who is unaware of it or unfamiliar with it, I'm sure there aren't many of our listeners who are, but just in case, uh, Regan, son of Dahi Regan, uh, an All-Ireland winning hurler with Offaly, uh, was Leinster under-18s captain, didn't get an academy contract, wound up at Ulster, was unlucky with injury, I think he made one senior start and was released in January of last year, moved to New Zealand, played amateur ball with the Dunedin Sharks, then played semi-pro in the Mitre Cup with Otago, eventually wound up playing Super Rugby with the Highlanders, and now Bernard Jackman has earned himself a three-year contract with the Ospreys, and will be lining out uh, directly alongside the Lions captain. Not a bad little story, not a bad couple of years for the lad.
1: Full on, um, this this guy for a while. So I, I would have crossed paths with his dad uh, in news talk, um, you know, back in the day. And then when he, he was breaking through before he got um, he moved to Dublin to go to college, I would have spoken to the dad um, and uh, spoken to him. And then when things didn't work out well in Ulster and, and he was told he wasn't going to get a new contract, um, uh I arranged to meet him in Dublin and Donnybrook and uh, we had a coffee before COVID and he had an opportunity to stay till the end of his contract Um, and I think you know his agent was saying look go to the championship in England you know you still be a professional player you can rebuild your career but there was also a chance to to not have any money coming in and go to New Zealand And and I just you know I certainly advised him in my opinion going to New Zealand at that age was going to be a phenomenal opportunity even if he never gets back to play professional rugby because you can't you can't guarantee how it's, how it's going to uh, play out. It's like Ty Byrne, you know, going to Scarlet's as a kind of a, a bit of a last-minute injury cover. You, know, who could, you can't predict that it's going to end up being be picked on a Lions tour in, 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 in 2021. Um, but Jack Regan, he he backed himself to go and have that life experience in New Zealand, just playing club rugby. Um, and he proved himself that, that he has you know he has the ability. And obviously, he got a few breaks, the Highlands had a few injuries. Um, which led him to get some starts at the start, and he took his chance, and it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And I think that's that's what what we want. We want. Um, I, well, I certainly want the, to increase our player pool. And I've, I've said it before. I think that we're we're too focused on keeping everybody here, um, limiting their game time. Um, when the reality is, playing matches generally makes players, um, and getting a run of games. Uh, like Josh Murphy's another example so he didn't leave but Josh Murphy got a run of games this year for Leinster um, uh, and I think everyone saw how good he is but when you come in and play one and five one and six 20 minutes off the bench here it's very difficult and Jack went from situation I know he was playing a little bit of All-Ireland League um, but he was floating between two camps and he went to uh, Dunedin start playing every week for his club training two nights a week um, uh, you know, working part time or working uh, to to pay the bills, and you get that hunger and desire. You, you get to have a different experience of different people. Maybe you're not judged as much because you're new. And sometimes in Ireland, you know, we make decisions on players quite quickly because there's a lot of players, um, and we sometimes don't see the strength or the potential upside um, that certain players have. And yeah, you, you you get the opportunity and you take it. And um, you know, I think it's a, a phenomenal decision. I know probably he'd signed for he has signed for Ospreys before. Probably Quinn Roo had left, but um, you know he would have been a great addition to to Connacht. Now he wouldn't have been that type of player. He's more of a uh, of a Gavin Thornbury um, type block. But um, uh, I still think that he'll go to Swansea. The Ospreys are ambitious. They've got good coaches. There's a, you know, a lot of talent there. And he play against the Irish provinces week in, week out. And, and um, if he ever eventually wants to come home and he's good enough to come back as a starter um, for one of the provinces, well then, you know, we've added to our, 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 our player depth. And uh, I just love it. I love the attitude. Robin Colton did the same thing. He went to Rotterdam, um, ended up in Cardiff Blues, you know, came home now. He's in M. Um, James Hart, we took in Chris Farrell, we took in to Grenoble and both of them. Are, are are having you know really good careers obviously James is back in Be Rich now and Chris Farrell's in, in Munster um, so yeah the, the, it's so uh, players feel a lot of young players feel there's one pathway and if I don't make it a, if I don't if I have a bad game in the Schools cup in Leinster um, when, the, when the eyes are on me that's my career over it shouldn't be it shouldn't be but we need to I think the RFU need to have someone who's actually there to help players with that and actually help them find opportunities because ironically the, well, the Irish players are, are um, very highly regarded across the world for their work ethic, um, for their ability to fit into a, a dressing room, for their talent, their technical, tactical ability. So, But I, I feel that we're very slow to actually help them find opportunities where they can play more. Um, and, you know, even we saw, and even the club, the fact they don't play for clubs in Ireland as much as, as they could is, is very frustrating to me. Um, they become gym monkeys and, um, you know, and I remember when I played in Leinster, there were certain players that, you know, didn't really care about playing on the weekend, but they were brilliant trainers Monday to Friday um, and whether they played or not wasn't a big deal and, I, and I, that was the opposite to me. I, 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 for me, it was about playing on Saturday with a team and, and trying to, to dig in and, and, and try and win together and if you lose together, fix it together. So, um, yeah, I, I think sometimes we were overprotective, and I know we spoke about it about Jack Crowley potentially going to La Rochelle. Like, would Jack Crowley not be better in Rochelle than in Plain Sevens? Realistically, if you want him to play for Ireland or, or play for Munster down the road, um, absolutely. I know that's a that's a yeah, great point. I, know what I think yeah, that's there's a great there's a... point
0: Bernard has made there because not not only Jack Crowley, but not only the names you've mentioned there, Bernard, but if you look at the Exeter team, like the European champions last year. You've Gareth Steenson, who was let go by Ulster, and he reinvents himself in the championship in England, and gets noticed by Rob Baxter when he gets uh, he gets the winning kick for Cornish Pirates against I think it was in in 2010. Uh, so he gets signed up. He ends up with over 3,000 points uh, and a couple of champ- a couple of premierships and a and a and a Champions Cup medal as well. Um, you look at the rest of that team. Tomas Francis did a spell with Doncaster in London london scottish uh harry williams was a jersey reds lewis luke kyan dickey did a did a spell of cornish parrots and a, was at plymouth as well so was henry slade like even owen farrell at saracen's was very briefly at bedford at one point you've got the story of callum sheedy he, he did time with uh with cinderford then played for jersey and ends up as a, as a Welsh international, like, you know. Uh, Piers Francis ends up in England's World Cup squad, and he went to New Zealand after being rejected in the English system and comes back, does a bit with Edinburgh, does a bit with Doncaster again, doesn't really make it, goes back down to New Zealand, gets a contract with the Auckland Blues, ends up coming back to England, getting into, getting, I think it's eight internationals he's had. Joe Simmons is another who's who's gone the circuitous route, it happens. And it happens more in England uh, than it does here. And it also shows that if players are given the opportunity and if they learn their trade, that they will make it. And Tagburn is the, the standout star of that story. But there are plenty of examples of it. And I do think that a really good player will always make it to the top. But sometimes they have to be pushed and encouraged to to go out and loan, and it shouldn't be like I think the point Bernard made was, was absolutely spot on. There's more than one path to get to the top, but in this country it seems to be a bit of an obsession with just sticking to the one way.
1: Yeah, and the reason is uh, the reason is Gary is that it's very it's very comfortable and very secure, mm. um, and players don't want to leave that. Whereas, I, and I'm not saying you have to make it insecure, but uh, I think if somebody who is works for the RFU who's able to liaise with the four directors of rugby of the of the four provinces and identify talent, and I know we was a press release this week about some all singing all dancing new talent ID program they've developed that's been piloted in Ulster, but that won't pay if the, if that's successful, that won't pay off for probably you know four or five years, and, and you know at the moment at the moment like we're looking for. Um, short to medium term success and also something that can can help us long term and i think that a good talent id program obviously in each of the provinces is important but also you know opening that up and increasing the amount of players we have playing across the world where the ones that are really successful that can come back and help us you know get back to the top table at international level help us win champions cups that's what we we, we need and realistically if we keep everyone in ireland um, you know, our player pool isn't going to get any bigger, uh, and I, I, I struggle to see Wales are the only ones who have had success. Um, you know, with 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 with, uh, with what they with, with a, probably a, a misfunctioning or underperforming regional side, and I think that's on the back of a generation of players who who maybe never be seen again. You know, who've who've been able to step up that level. The allen Jones, the George North, the Ken Owens, etc. Uh, like I don't think if you're building a model, you don't build it on. On, on how Wales have built, it, has created theirs, and that may come back to bite them on, on the ass in, in time. But for us, for us, we, we don't seem to realise that we actually are still living in two thousand eighteen, and um, you know, I, I, I just don't see a huge amount of creativity or um, or willingness to try anything else. And it's the players who are hampered because you know, if you if you get stuck as a squad player. In a province, okay, you make a career out of it, but you mightn't have a lot to show for it at the end.
2: What is the or where does the reticence come from on behalf of, say, the provinces, Bernard, or the IRFU, or whoever, David sephora in allowing this to happen, in allowing um players to get some game time abroad, even I, I like. The Crowley one will sound like we're singling out Munster, which, which we're accused of doing enough. But really, we're only talking about the Crowley example because Raj was actually transparent in, in mentioning it in a newspaper column, you know what I mean? Uh, there are probably loads of these little uh, half-offers or negotiations that we'll never hear about. But it, like, what is the drawback from the IRFU's point of view in, in allowing a, a situation like that, for example? Like, or, indeed, allowing players to move abroad, let's say, permanently? uh per se with the night bringing them back is it just that like if they go on to become great players it doesn't reflect well that they were left going the first place or is it the money involved potentially in bringing them back like what what are the drawbacks we're talking about
1: um yeah look at i suppose i think the problem is the moment is that because there's such a tight reign on on non-irish qualified um uh you know you only have to be very exact in terms of your 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 bet in terms of one of those, right? So um, you know that you can't fill a gap. Whereas in France, to the French and the English, you know, if if, they, if there's an injury crisis, they can go out and get somebody uh, and and they fill that gap. So they're probably more likely to um, to take chances in terms of releasing players. So a big issue in France, a big salute, uh, revolution in French rugby that we haven't really spoke about. Uh, we all talk about the number of GIF players and that has been a help. Um, but what that actually did was it Encourage top 14 clubs to allow their young players to go and play Pro D two on loan, um, on much more frequently than they did in the past. Why? Because they knew that to get their GIF numbers um, in line with the new regulations, they needed them more, uh, more urgently. So, just changing one rule actually created a, 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 a demand, or a drive, or necessity by the clubs to go and get those players. So hence the the, uh, the the level of Pro D two started to change because you had these young talented French players, whereas before it was very much a competition for for journeymen uh, French players and, and foreigners. So suddenly you had these young players with no inhibitions, who were desperate to prove themselves because they wanted to go back to the Racings or Claremonts or the Toulons etc. and play top fourteen, want to play for France. Um, whereas here, uh, you know, it doesn't really seem to, everyone's working in silos, even though they. Pre- they, they claim it's all central and aligned. It's actually not. There's uh, Everyone's afraid to give up somebody because you don't know what's going to happen in terms of the replacement. So, uh, you know, and I think that's probably a, a, an issue. My opinion is if we had, if we took five out of each province and they went to play away for a year, okay, and they're not, not starters, obviously, but they went to play away for a year. Suddenly we have 20 players playing um, in, in England or France. Just take that as an example, right? That gives us 20 more players in ireland who have the opportunity to maybe step up right so suddenly then you have 20 in ireland who played played a little bit 20 who broader played a little bit and then you pick the best of them you know and, and that that's what drives performance and drives competition whereas you know you don't see a huge amount of of, of that and, and i would say that if you get a contract now and um, with an irish province at, at 23 24 you know there's a pretty good chance you'll still be there at 30, 32, you know, um, and that's that's fine. That's, that's great. I'm not saying you have to have chaos, but it's not really highly driven in terms of you're not competing. With, you're not competing with the best players in in England or France or Wales or Scotland anymore because you know they can't come in, right? So you're only competing with your with your peers in Ireland. Um, whereas in France, even though it's less foreigners, you know you're competing with with players across the France. You're competing with players in Pro D two who want your place. You know you're competing with South Africans, Aussies kiwis who want to come to france so that level of competition generally creates better performance um, and, I, and i think there's definitely a huge amount of benefits of being of the stability we have in irish rugby but i would argue that um, if we want to get you know if we want to be back at the top end of it um as, as in terms of four provinces right and, and the national team and getting to semifinals and world cups um maybe we need to start looking at it a little bit differently um, but unless you realize unless you agree there's a problem um, unless you accept that we're not really um, at the top end of our performance you're not going to be creative or open to change and you just you know we'll be talking we'll be doing a World Cup review after France and you know no one will get to see it but you know it'll, um, and we'll go to the next World Cup then you know just wondering what went wrong whereas the, the key to getting to World Cup semi-final is finding talent like that's what wins your games um, England were very well coached but they had a lot of talent. You know, South Africa were very well coached with a lot of talent. Um and I think for us at the moment, we have a lot of a lot of talent, you know, in terms of being really good pros. But what's gonna make the difference is those guys who can win your games um at the highest level, which is Champions Cup, semi-finals, finals, and, and and world cups and six nations. And we need to find more of them, you know, and it's very hard to find them, but generally they develop through playing. And Ty Byrne is a is a good example, you know no one knew five years ago himself and Wynne Jones played for, played for Clandovery in the Welsh uh, club championship and five years later they're both going on the British and Irish line so talent idea isn't an exact process okay so there's fellas that tell you to have programs to do this that and the other and Excel sheets etc it's not the exact process but playing games uh, regularly generally um, is a big factor in terms of letting players develop and finding their, their skill set and find their potential uh, and you no, know, and I, I think in our system there's not enough focus on that there's not enough focus on that look at Thomas Ahern, look at Craig Casey you know uh, Gary had great stats on, on them they don't play as much as they made, they could do elsewhere so I would argue that that's not really brilliant for their development um, and that's where we could do better
2: Gary I'm going to miss Birch on the podcast when he's running the IRFU are you?
0: you some
1: man. Yep, but Birch, you've got to remember, you've got to stick Easy with theory, to the theory, lads. Easy theory. Yeah, exactly. Um, don't ask
2: too many questions. <laughs> one last question for both of you. um I'll throw this one to yourself, Birch. It was actually one that Kalon, one of our our famed the forty two members, sent last week, and we just didn't get a chance. And I'm going to read it off now. So he was saying last year we saw we saw the AIL be rushed back despite clear barriers. Uh, i.e. no showers, and some described it as a reach in order to keep all sports happy. The cancellation caused some disappointment amongst clubs and players, although it was somewhat inevitable. Now this summer the IRFU have issued a roadmap for clubs for the summer, and although it excites me and many others, I feel like it will be overlooked by some clubs. Uh, Do you think there's anything that the IRFU can do to force clubs to hold minis, sevens, tag, or other summer events or should we be afraid that some clubs will be left in the dark and won't seize this opportunity? And Caelan adds, like he knows that GAA dominates the summer in Ireland, but surely there's a prime opportunity here to exploit a market for social sport the kind we mainly see in golf or tennis and not in the big three sports.
1: Yeah, so uh, to be honest, we were allowed, uh, so I'm involved in Bective, and our uh, uh, mini started back, I think, two weeks ago when they were allowed to go back. Uh, there was great excitement. Uh, huge numbers and we were out trained Tuesday night for the first time in pods of 15 and uh, we had uh, 42 players um, and uh, so I would say well, I looked across the, the pitch and Wesley were training on, on their pitch and, and they had you know big numbers as well obviously within the the protocols of working in a pod of 15 so I don't think uh, I in, in my my friends were involved in coaching um Everybody's decided to get back, and I would expect I would expect the clubs, without having to be pushed by the RFU to run with this. I mean, we've been out of action for so long. Um, I think everyone's just relieved to to be allowed, you know, participate again. And and, and Bill, so no, I, I don't see that being an issue. And I think you know, I would imagine in the clubs, if, if there was if there was uh, resistance from from the committee or whatever that the players and the, and the parents of the minis etc. would would drive it on I, I just think we're all glad to be back and uh, I don't see it being any any issue with that to be honest that's my own experience and it's very early days but certainly people I've seen and I'm involved with are delighted to have the opportunity to be out chasing a, a ball around again
2: Glad to hear it I think we're all delighted Gary thanks a million as always
1: Brilliant thanks thanks a million for having me again. and
2: Bretch, thank you to you as well no Bye bye Thanks to everyone at home all of the 42 members for all of your continued support members.the42.e if you want to join us there and also enter the great WhatsApp group we'll be back on Monday when I say we I mean the great man Murray we'll be back uh, with Owen and looking back on the Rainbow Cup action back then in this regular slot next Thursday so until Monday for members and until Thursday for non-members mind yourselves in the meantime take it easy I don't think we've met before but I'm the referee on this field Leinster could offer me five mil a year. I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Chavero. Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass.